Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. everyone and welcome to the Bobble Hour where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host Jean McCarthy, author of Unpickled and I am just back from a history-making recovery conference for women in New York City which was hosted by She Recovers and it was awesome. And one topic that kept coming up again and again as we spoke amongst ourselves was how it is that we can allow ourselves to be blown away by the power and the connection and the impact that we have on one another's recovery without letting that take over our ego. Ego is one of the root problems behind addiction and healing or readjusting ego is one of the main goals of recovery. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a sponsor who's helping others or a blogger or a commenter on blogs or a podcast host or right up to a you know best-selling author or keynote speaker. It's all the same. We all walk that fine line between sharing the helpful things we've learned uh, and, and what we know versus being a know-it-all. So here to discuss that with me today, I've brought back two of uh, my favorite guests. I have uh, Veronica Valley from veronicavalley.com and Julie Elston Height from soberjulie.com. They've both been on the show before. You can hear Veronica's episode was February 1st, 2017. Julie's episode was January 25th. 2017. And ladies, welcome back to the Bubble Hour. Thank you. Thank you so for having us. To be back. <laughs> oh, it's so nice to hear both of your voices again. Well, let's jump right into the discussion. Um, Julie, I'll start with you. Tell me how it felt for you to see a room with 500 women in recovery. You know, when I went this weekend, it was the largest gathering, I think, for actually any of us. I don't know if we've actually had a female recovery oriented conference like this in North America before. For me personally, it was the largest gathering I've been to with people in recovery period. And then to have it all be women, it was um, one of those things where you think you know what you're getting into. And then when you actually walk into the space, the experience is very different. So I came in as a member of the sober blogger team and um, we had a little room off to the side for uh, during registration and a little meet and greet hour. So I had the pleasure of meeting quite a few people before the quote unquote conference launch began. And uh, 
it was so super cool to be able to meet everybody. And then I walked into that room, which was super overwhelming. And I stood at the back. I tend to, I tend to do this. I stand at the back of rooms uh, for many reasons. Sitting is uncomfortable for me. So I tend to stand at the back. And I just took a moment of gratitude, you know, to think that in this room, there's so many people who have faced such challenges and uh, challenges that have taken a number of lives in my journey of friends and peers. And, uh, you know, being able to stand with that kind of gratitude in my heart was just such a blessing. It was, it was super cool. How about you, Veronica? You've worked uh, as a therapist. You've worked in the recovery field for decades. Um, so being in a group of people in recovery isn't unfamiliar to you, but did it feel different, this large gathering of women in recovery? Was there something, was there some other element that you perceived about it? Yeah, I, it definitely was different. It was so powerful. I was just thinking, you know, I cannot imagine what Dawn and Taryn's stomachs were doing in the few days leading up to it. I bet they were in <laughs> knots of just, you know, you know, fear of like, oh my God, what if it falls flat? What if it does, you know, all of the things that could go wrong? And and I think these are the organizers of, the- of the event. Dawn and Taryn from She Recovers were two of the organizers of the event. And sorry, carry on. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, I meant to kind of put on the on Facebook just before, like, you know, n- none of us know what we're going into. You know, this is going to unfold. It's going to be just how it needs to be. We'll learn lessons along the way. And uh, I've definitely been in large groups of people in recovery, but what was so unique was um, there was no prescribed method of recovery. It was everybody came from different places, had done different methods, and and everyone was, you know, sober. And I thought that that was really incredible. And just the, you know, the feeling of sisterhood, mm-hmm. just the feeling of sisterhood. And, and I think all of the speakers touched on how women can be separated. And, you know, there's so many common themes that are just very unique for women. You know, certainly misogyny, and sexism that, you know, affects us in our daily lives, but can affect us in our recovery. So to have that really unique space for women, for femininity, for the power that we have was really quite extraordinary. I mean, I was just blown away by the whole weekend. Now, I had the good pleasure of standing beside you, Veronica, during the blogger meet and greet. So as Julie mentioned, there was a group of 10 of us writers that were in this meet and greet room and, and um, people came through and, and, uh, and greeted us as they registered. And it was, it was really neat, but I kept hearing out of my ear on my right ear, uh, people saying to you, Veronica, you know, this book of yours changed my life. Um, You're Veronica Valley. I'm so excited to meet you. Your book got me sober. And I, you know, I heard that again and again. And I just wondered what, what that feels like for you. What is it like to have people say that your work changed their life? That's, um, every time I hear it, actually, I'm really blown away. Um, I'm just, I feel when someone says that to me, just really, really, really grateful that I get to do this work because I was so lost for so long in every area of my life and you know my 
career, I guess, is in this field, and it's taken many different forms over the last 17 years. And, and you know, five, six years ago, I decided just to write a book and get everything down that I knew about sobriety. And um, I just feel really honored that it did manage to hit the mark. And it's, I'm sure not everybody's cup of tea, but the people who did read it and did it did resonate with them, I'm just like, oh, yes, I'm just so glad that, you know, because it's about, you know, my journey and how I felt and, and you know, explaining that and then to communicate that with another person who's like, yeah, that's how I felt too is just, you know, really, really powerful. Um, but I also don't take a lot of credit. You know, it's it, it, it comes from somewhere else and it comes through you. So is that does that help you stay grounded then when you are receiving that adoration if it's staying reminding yourself that you know you didn't invent the information or <laughs> you're not yeah. the only one with that truth but that you're a, a spokesperson for it or, or a, a, not a spokesperson a, a, um, like a vehicle to share that information how do you how do you keep stay on track and fend off ego in that situation you know, it's really interesting because I've, I've definitely been through all of that. Um, and, you know, very early on in my career as a therapist, kind of being put on a pedestal by clients and kind of like you're the recovery guru. And in my naivety, believing that that was true. And so here's what happens. You know, first of all, you know, when you've got like three or four years or whatever and it's, people have several days and you regurgitate a few kind of recovery sentences and they think what you said is amazing – what happened to me is I felt like I was suffocating because I thought I had to be perfect. I was mm. terrified of letting them down. Like, oh my God, what if they see like that I just hung up on my mom, or you know, I just, <laughs> you know, I I, I, did, I missed a deadline, or oh, you know, whatever. I was so scared of letting them down, and and thankfully I realized very quickly that I couldn't live like that. And also, it, it, first of all, it didn't serve me, and it certainly didn't serve them. And that actually there's so much joy in owning and admitting your mistakes. There's so much freedom in that to, you know, to, to be able to go, Oh, like this is, I messed up. Like, Oh my God, I did that wrong, but this is what I did about it. And this is what I learned. Um, so there's that. And the other thing that really has been the, probably the most revolutionary part of my recovery that transformed it more than anything else is understanding that nothing is personal Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just not about me. So, um, you know, and that's good and bad, you know, whatever, the most important thing is what I think about what, uh, you know, what I think about myself. What else would people think about me? I, oh, it's great, Jean. I'm so happy that my work has reached people and touched people, but I don't take it personally that it means like I'm the greatest recovery expert in the whole world because that's not true. And I'll let you down if you think that. Well, you you shared that perspective with me. Don't take it personally because you heard me when someone really sweetly said to me, oh, I feel like I'm meeting a celebrity. And I kept saying, oh, no, oh, no, <laughs> like I'm nothing. I'm just a grandma from Alberta, <laughs> you know, and, and you said, you know, you're kind grandma. of, <laughs> you said you're kind of negating what you're just telling people they're wrong. Like they're telling you they're excited to meet you and you're telling them they're wrong. Like you've got to let them own their feelings and own their excitement, but don't take it personally. So, so let them feel like they're meeting a celebrity and share in the excitement of that, but don't 
take it personally and believe that means you are a celebrity, right? And that was, I really realized that um, kindness is, is like one of my virtues that I really try to inject into what I do. Like, I feel like as long as I'm doing something kind, I'm probably doing the right thing. And so I realized that like, okay, I can receive those compliments with kindness and return them with kindness. But as you said, that, that the line not to cross is not to take it personally. That, um, but also not to push away the compliment and insult yes. the person who's complimenting you. Right, exactly, which is sort of manners 101, but somehow I'm still learning it. Julie, how about you? How do you, um, how do you stay grounded? How do you sort of avoid letting ego creep into being a, a public persona? Um, much like Veronica, I I know deeply within me that nothing has happened because of my own in my own doing. It all comes down to humility. And one of the earliest lessons I had to learn repeatedly was to be humble. And the more that I am not humble, the minute that my ego steps in, I have to face some sort of big challenge in life. And it's usually something I could have avoided. Or if I couldn't have, it's later when I look back on the lesson. I got sober, and then 21 days later, I was still riding this wonderful cloud of early sobriety with hope and not realizing that I was still placing um, my identity, what I foresaw as my identity. I put that all in my job role at the time. It meant that much to me. And then I was suddenly in a car accident, and that was removed from me. With uh, I was incapable of performing that job role, therefore that identity went away. So repeatedly in my life's path, this has been a recurring thing. So these days, I am completely daily uh, fighting to stay in touch with that humility. Um, with that comes the knowledge that everything I do, I do out of love. And so it's when it's uncomfortable, because it can be receiving a compliment like that, it can be very uncomfortable that's when I'm in my ego instead of the place of love where I look at the person, whether it's a Facebook message, a private message, email, whatever, or in person, like we had it at uh, She Recovers. Um, I'm just so grateful to hear from the person that somebody heard something because so often, I mean, what I do, I'm behind a computer screen sitting by myself in the house, if you know what I mean. Um, I do so, know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, you you do we're know all, what I mean. We're all alone in our homes right now behind a computer That's screen. That's it. Like, right? We're all speaking, you know, we're we're all each alone with a telephone to our ear doing this podcast. It's not like we're able to sit and feed off of the other person's energy and hear what they need and actually respond to that. A lot of the time when I'm writing, um, I'm writing just from whatever is coming up as being presented through my meditation or prayer. And I'm just putting out there, you know, what's being told to me as a vehicle or a conduit. What do I need to put out today? What is it? And that's what goes forward. So when, some, when that strikes somebody, that to me is just validation that I'm on the path I'm meant to be that day. And I'm grateful for that validation. And I'm also grateful for the person because it takes balls to go up to a stranger who you've been reading and say, hey, you impacted my life. Mm-hmm. And it, I- It's also, I, I've really learned as well, it's really important for people to do that. Because I, I know I felt like that. I mean, I felt like that about Marianne Williamson. I, for me, she is 
the spiritual guru and to just be able to say thank you and connect with her like and and again i don't i don't think she's like um i just think she's an amazing teacher she's a really mm-hmm. evolved spiritual teacher and i just want to really thank her for the hard work she's put in to get to that point because she's really communicated with me and it, it it's really important for people to you know it was important for me to do that and it is important if you know if your words have touch someone people really want to say you know thank you for that and it's important to allow that well i'm curious then it's realness and relationship right it's relationship that hopefully we're looking to cultivate so that we don't i don't just ever want to be a name of somebody somebody read Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean by that it's got a the the true impressions that people leave upon me are the emotions they create within me and then the change I facilitate within my own life. And if I have the opportunity to say to somebody, thank you, then I'm giving to them at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it reminds me of something I learned many, many, many years ago in university. Um, and I can't remember even what the exact class was, but I remember learning the difference between celebrity and hero and that Mm. are the heroes of the past. uh, A hero is someone that actually has a relationship with the reader or the listener or, you know, whoever the citizens and that they have an obligation to them. So there is an interaction and an obligation on their part to behave heroically and to do the right thing. And a celebrity is just someone you watch and they have no obligation to you. They have no, like you're just observing their life and being entertained by them, but they are under no obligation to uphold any sort of standard. And we tend to mis mistake celebrities for heroes Um, but if we look at the past if we look way back into um, you know our our history and the and the heroes throughout humanity there's a relationship there in that you know you can look to that person and count on them to do the right thing and um, so if we in any role wanted to emulate one of those. I think that's the thing we have to ask ourselves, like, am I emulating a heroic behavior right now or just a sort of celebrity behavior right now? And I'm curious, Veronica, when you, when you spoke to um, Marianne Williamson and when you thanked her, um, can you share with us how she responded to you? Did you, could, did she respond in a way that was like evolved and, um, you know, did you, did you learn from her response as well? Well, it was really, um, I, I spoke to her after, uh, you know, outside after she'd, uh, you know, spoken, done her speech. And, um, it, it, you know, I've, I've certainly met people I've really admired and been disappointed before. And I think it's just really what you're saying is I think once people start believing their own hype, they're in real trouble. And, and you can kind of tell that straight away. With Marianne, I, she was just so real, just so real. I mean, graceful enough to, to accept the thanks, but not really interested in learning how great you think she is. <laughs> like, that's not any interest to her whatsoever. She immediately asked about me, about my son, asked me questions, and was really interested in my answers. And, and that, for me, is someone who's really emotionally well. Because, yeah. you know, her cur- you know, she just wasn't 
interested in being, talking about her. She really <laughs> wanted to know about me, and I just was, you know, that touched me a lot. Well, that that brings up, you know, something else I wanted to talk about, which was looking at the keynote speakers at, at the event we were at or any event really you go to, um, they tend not to mingle with the crowd before or after. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're, they, they're ushered in, you know, they're, they're ushered through the crowd to the stage and they're ushered out again and usually sort of whisked off and kept away. And, and part of that is to keep things flowing because events are on a tight timeline. But I can tell you as a business person, I understand that the other reason that is done is that um, having limited access to a person increases their value. So speakers get paid many thousands of dollars to, to deliver a keynote address at an event. And um, the way to keep your, your dollar value high is to make it hard for people to have access to you any other way. And I feel like that's sort of a business choice that people make when they are writers, speakers, dealing with the public in any way. And it's not that it's a bad choice. It's just a business choice, you know. Um, But I almost felt bad for them, too, because um, these fantastic speakers who were very much like the other women in the room weren't at liberty to just jump into the crowd and have the experience that we were having. They, They missed out on that. And that's sort of the price that they had to pay to keep their currency high as a speaker. Um, so I'm just I'm curious as to your perspectives on that um, as someone who was at the opposite end where, you know, the choices that we've made was that we were really boots on the ground and dealing with people one-on-one and sort of um, choosing to be involved sort of at a ground level. And how do you feel about the the differences between the two and, and – um, what do you feel the impact is on on different points of the spectrum? Julie, do you want to take that question? Sure. Um, the logistics of it, you know, speak for themselves. To have anybody be able to meet and greet 500 people is time-consuming. And like you say, a person becomes more of a commodity <clears throat> with the when you reduce the exposure. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a bit of a tickle. Um, in my marketing business, I, I do at events. I own a marketing company also. And recently, I'll just give you an example. Um, In the middle of a conference, I had um, a keynote that was an hour long and I went in and I presented. And what happened was um, I was literally being ushered in and out because I had to move on to another media event quite Mm -hmm. quickly. And actually, people were running out of the hotel after me to ask me questions. They were leaving session to come and ask questions which I absolutely entertained. I'm by no means at the level of the keynotes that we saw at She Recovers, but it's an example of when there's only that much time, what can happen? And I will say this, I I felt like something was missing as I left that day. It did leave me with a feeling of, I wish I could have immersed myself within it Mm -hmm. and uh, been present because it's a blessing to be able to be present again, face to face, hand to hand with people on a like-minded topic, certainly with something, something just so spiritually um, huge as recovery. That to me would be missing if the day ever came where I had to face that. So, um, you know, God bless the speakers. They really did their best to convey a personal message And I think they did it extremely well. 
mm-hmm. think that there were moments where where people managed to have a moment with them here and there. We we saw on social media, you know, the keynotes doing selfies with people. But, um, you know, these people are running event to event or flying in and dealing with their own families and things. So it's it's definitely a lot of energy for them. And, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that there's events where they're able to immerse themselves in. Yeah, I think it must it must need to happen in their life, because how else can you continue to produce work that relates to how other people, what, what people are going through if you're completely isolated from them. I, I think there must be some level on which they manage to, to maintain those connections. What about you, Veronica? What do you think of that? Um, I, I actually don't think that it's a, a deliberate strategy to kind of stay aloof from the large crowd. I think it's just a necessity. I mean, I kind of think that um, when you saw Elizabeth Fargus talk, she didn't leave immediately. She kind of hung around, and then she was, you know, encircled by quite a few people wanting to chat and get pictures, which is, you know, perfectly fine. But it took her a while to kind of get out. Um, and, you know, I, I, personally, I would feel bad because I would want to, like, everyone who'd waited to speak to me, I'd want to speak to every single one of them, and I'd want mm-hmm. to give them what, what it is they came for. But there's only so many hours in the day, and um, exactly. Yeah. You know, so I, I completely understand having to just like kind of zip out of there because you could be there another six hours just, you know, connecting with people, and, and it's just not always possible to do that. Um, and I mean, I, I, I was the same. I, I loved the uh, sober blogger meet and greet. Again, I had no idea what to expect. Like none. I, I didn't think any. You know, I just had no idea what to expect, and it was awesome meeting people, people who didn't know who I was and never heard of my book or my blog and people who'd come and specifically wanted to come and say thank you. I just was just it was a beautiful experience. So I, I I'm an extreme extrovert, so I'm just like five hundred women like throw me at them. That's like my <laughs> kind of people. But I'm also like if if I could write a New York Times bestseller and be paid thousands of dollars to make a keynote speech, I'd take that as well. Yes, <laughs> as I'm sure we all would. Well, speaking of you being an extrovert, I have to say that I'm a reluctant extrovert. Like I can do it, um, but it's an adaptation for me. I'm I'm a, very much the Gemini. Like I I could spend days on end by myself in my house, just writing and recording or writing music or writing. You know, just I I am such an introvert, and I I almost forget sometimes to go out in the world and interact with people. But then when I do, I enjoy it. But it, it is like I have to push myself at it. Um, and I was a little bit anxious before the blogger meet and greet. And then the second people were coming in the door, I'm like, oh, what was I afraid of? These are my people. Like, we're sisters, mm-hmm. like, right? Like, I uh, yeah, I just felt yeah, so at home. Yeah. But the do you find it difficult, Julie, to shift gears between sort of the, the solitary work of, of writing and, and producing work you know, from behind a computer screen versus going face to face with people. Is there a, is there um is there sort of a transition that you feel yourself go through? There is, most definitely. Um I like to call it my travel day. So irrelevant of where the location is that I'm going to representing Sober Julie, um, I always take at least a half day to ground myself within the environment because my energy I just start getting so excited. I am an extra extrovert 
but I am a solitary extrovert where I need a lot of time by myself. And um, what I tend to do is um, take many, many moments of reflection during the events. And what I tend to do is take 15 seconds just to ground myself repeatedly because I find the energy at these events is so big and so wonderful that it's important for me to keep myself regulated. Uh, otherwise, stamina-wise, I drain out super fast. And um, I I did a lot of, you know, just escaping for very short periods of time, just going away and uh, doing some refilling of my cup and then coming back refreshed. And I, and I know that's nothing new for anybody who attended this event or any sort of um, event where you are dealing with your emotions, certainly. I think that it's important for us all to keep ourselves uh, level and grounded. So give me a vision of what that looks like. Like, What would you do in those 15 15 minutes, 15 seconds, whatever you're doing to ground yourself, what does that look like for you? As little as, honestly, um, the bathrooms were beautiful. (laughs) And so (laughs) I would... I literally left at one point and I walked into the bathroom and it was, um, you know, pretty packed. And I went into the stall and I just stood and took my shoes off, put my feet on the ground. And I just did some uh, intentional deep breathing. And I said a prayer of thanks and talked to myself about the gratitude. And I visualized my energy cup filling up. I, I literally visualize a refill happening and then just that quiet couple moments of breathing and gratitude, and I'm making a mental memory of something I've just experienced to be able to recall later. That's partially um, a cognitive behavior therapy I learned uh, because I have a brain injury that affects memory. So if I do tangible memory moments, I can recall them easier. I love that. How about you, Veronica? Do you have any little tricks like that to ground yourself or or get back into a moment? Um, you know, it's it's interesting because I'm an extreme extrovert who's also an only child. So I do get the, like, you know, having some time to my own. I relish it. Oh, my God. You know, I love it. I just mm-hmm. I just flew back from Barcelona on Thursday. And, like, the idea of having, like, an entire day on airplanes in the airports with books and movies was, like, heaven for me. Um it really, it's really interesting. It's about where you're at in your life. Because I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom with two little children. I was like, oh my god, adult people all weekend. <laughs> adult people and high heels. Like this is, I, I was just in my element. And and for me, it was just about. Um, I what I really didn't want to do was be like, um, like, hey, how are you? Yeah, hi. Hey, I, I, I really. Um, there was people there that I'd met before and people that I really wanted to meet, like you guys. So I wanted to, like, be able to have some meaningful connections with, like, the people that I'd begun to build relationships with, and I pretty much got to do that. Um, I have to say, meeting Julie from Sober Mommies, you know when you see someone online and you just love their personality, you just think, we would so be friends if we met in real life, like, for real. (laughs) When I met her, like, it was confirmed. And, and you know, oh. you guys as well. It was like, I just know these are my people, and I know when I meet them in real life. And, you know, occasionally that happens. You meet someone in real life, and you're like, oh. It's like a kind of blind date kind of thing. You're like, oh, you're like, you know, 
not kind of how you look in your photograph. Um, <laughs> so I, just having those meaning because they have an ego, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Having those meaningful connections for me and, like, just being able to connect with, you know, the Julies. Didn't we have – what was that? The Julies? Is that what we called you? Yeah, Julie, Julies. Julies. <laughs> you know, and Kelly from Sober Senorita. All, all, of, all of those, you know, connections are really what grounds me because I spend most of my time around really little children. And that's just mm. how I am right now. That's just where my life is right now. You know, I have to just say, too, uh, uh, when I looked around the room at at the women gathered, and I was like you, Julia, I often just like, I had to get up from my chair and just go stand at the back of, my, of the room and just survey what was happening, just to, like, keep from going through the roof with excitement and spinning out of, you know, control of, of plots. Um, I kept thinking, how beautiful they all are in all our shapes, sizes, forms, pathways to recoveries, varying degrees of recoveries, varying degrees of isms. Um, Like when I got sober, I really, I, I, well, first of all, I was so self-centered. I I really thought I was the only person (laughs) in the world, but I was afraid that the only other six sober people in the world were like just you know, old guys that I couldn't relate to or something. (laughs) And first of all, thing one is that I have since learned that if there were only six sober guys in the room and they were all old men with no teeth, I would still relate to them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But the second thing was that like, oh my God, this is a beautiful tribe of women from all walks of life, from all demographics who are standing in their power and taking back their power from whatever it was that sucked it away from them. And that, like, that to me was so much better than the sort of, like, um, more of, like, when I was drinking, I was really hung up on sort of perfectionism and and looking the part and, and having people admire me, but not feeling mm-hmm. like I was worthy of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that whole like egomaniac with the inferiority complex is something so many of us felt, I think when we were drinking and we'd maybe drank even to soothe it because we just didn't believe that we had the power and then getting sober felt powerless. But just to stand in that crowd and see like, this is beauty and strength and grace Mm -hmm. in its finest form. Like this is really Mm -hmm. You know, that I know there's listeners to this show who are sort of seekers and wondering um, what it might be like to give up alcohol or what life looks like for people that have. And uh, let me just tell you, like, man, it's, it is a really lovely, strong place to be. And mm. that just, it takes my breath away every time I think back to it. When I close my eyes and think of, of that event, I think of the masses, you know, like I think of the group as a whole versus any one thing. And, you know, I, I just have to say to that, to the person sitting there who's thinking ahead to a road of recovery and, um, you know, trying to figure out what it could look like or or uh, perhaps from a place of trepidation or fear or uncertainty, I will say this, um, recovery looks like no one thing. Mm-hmm. It looks like no no one single thing. Everybody in that room of 500 people um, 
had different styles, different ages, different races, different backgrounds, cultures, everything. Um, there was the common theme, the common thread is that there's renewed life in it. Uh, I can guarantee the person entering into new recovery, the one thing you will have is new life. Amen. <laughs> yeah. But that's really, uh, that's the most extraordinary thing is I think she recovers firmly told people that, it, you know, if you think getting sober is, is boring and uninspiring and your life is over it it just said completely the opposite to that. And any excuse, you know, just like, I mean, we all went through it, right? Like, my life is over. If I stop drinking, how will I have fun? You know, yeah. how will I meet people? Like, all my friendships will die. All of that complete and utter rubbish. You know, if you want yeah. any, any proof that your life is going to be fun and fulfilling and interesting and meaningful and, you know, I laughed. I Pride, I, you know, and everything in between. I made new friends. I, I deepened my relationships. I mean, it just takes everything I ha- thought I had when I was drinking and just blows a big fat raspberry at it. Yeah. <laughs> I will say this though, and I've got to say this just to because honestly, it's the truth. Recovery can be as shitty as you want it to be. Recovery can Mm -hmm. be the most boring life you've ever led. It can be depressing. It can be whatever you want. You can become the martyr. Go ahead. But it can be the most beautiful as well because it's it's all what you choose. It's like anything else in life. You can choose to be a martyr. Oh, God, I can't drink. Or you can choose to be the, okay, I can't drink. So guess what? It's not going to stop me. I'm going out and finding true joy, not temporary uh, numbness and temporary fake happiness, which is what booze is to me. Um, Mm. I had to learn how to have fun again. I had to learn the fun that I had in my teen years when I didn't drink yet. I had to relearn that because I had numbed myself out so hardcore that I didn't have a clue. Yeah, we really train ourselves to believe that there are no other options than drinking. And even when we know that's not true, we can't like it takes a while to remember again what it's like to just laugh or just have fun. Yeah. Exactly. And it is intentional, wanna... right? Like you got to seek it. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You're right. And I I agree with what you said too that you know, you if you want to be miserable, you sure can be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Poor I mean, you. It's... Poor yeah. you. You're all alone and you don't get to drink, but you can also say I don't have to drink anymore. Uh, I don't need to drink. I get to be present for all my life. I get to be part of other things. And, um, yeah, attitude is everything. I want to touch on the topic of anonymity um, because I think that comes back around as well to the idea of of staying grounded. And I think anonymity can – I mean, there's a purpose in anonymity and there's there's a purpose in sort of the new movement towards shedding anonymity and I just want to start by asking um, each of you and Veronica I'll start with you do you ever regret shedding your anonymity as a person in recovery you know I do have a little bit to say about this because um, I think it's a really interesting and important topic the, the notion of anonymity comes from the 12-step fellowships with the, uh, it's the 11th tradition about, uh, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but about um, 
being anonymous at the level of press, radio, and film, and and that pertains to not representing yourself as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous on TV and radio, etc. But the notion of anonymity has seeped out, and p- people in the reco- massive worldwide recovery community have, first of all, misunderstood that it means secrecy, about being secret, um, about our disease and our recovery, and also that it applies to everybody, and it just doesn't. Um, it, it really is, what it means literally is do not go on television and say, I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I got sober there, and it's really great, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Don't do that. Um, but to talk about your own recovery, as we have done, as we are doing, we're not representing anyone. I'm just representing me. That's it. And um, I, I you know, talk about various different things. And I do that because I can't not. I, I just can't not. To, to be secret about this would just seems feels preposterous to me. I mean, I definitely remember years ago in early recovery being very secretive because that's kind of what people it strongly implied to me I had to be because people don't understand, you'll be judged. You know, some people take it the wrong way. That has not been my experience. I have not ever had a negative reaction from anybody anywhere at any time. The complete opposite. I mean, first of all, everybody on this planet knows somebody who has an alcohol addiction problem. So straight away, you, you already, you know, you're, you may be that first point of contact with someone. And second of all, it's like what people like Elizabeth Vargas are able to do for this community is to, to show recovery. I mean, people hear the rock bottom stories. They see the rock bottom stories, but they don't see somebody living normal day-to-day life, paying their taxes, going to work, just, you know, being sober. And, and I just think that's vital. And I, I think this notion, this mis interpreted notion of anonymity has done a considerable amount of damage to um, the recovering community in terms of uh, research, treatment, prevention, access to treatment, and acknowledgement and understanding and acceptance from the wider community. So I feel quite passionately about it. I do feel passionately also, it's up to you. Nobody should out you. You know, you should do it in your own good time when you're ready. Um, but I also feel very passionately about when you are ready, go and do it. And and I can, I'll guarantee you're not going to have a negative reaction. People respond very well. What about within the twelve step community? Did you have pushback from people in the program? I've had pushback from the twelve step community about so many different things that really don't okay. concern me anymore. <laughs> Well, what do you think are some of the potential pitfalls, Veronica, of of recovering out loud? Because I do think there's, you know, there, there there's some responsibility that goes with it, right? What, how, what do you see of some of that as being? Okay, so here's the thing. The reason that, and we're just talking about AA, which is one self-help organization that has their own uh, guidelines for their specific Members, and that was to prevent people, um, you know, being public about the AA program and then relapsing, and then the public saying, "Oh, look, it doesn't work." And and that's, uh, I think, there's some really good thinking behind that. Mm-hmm. But again, what's come from that? Because their policy is attraction for promotion, which I just think is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It's the best policy, attraction, not not promotion. 
But, but then what's come from that is I believe in the recovering community, we are the first people to say it's a disease. Everybody, it's a disease. But we are the worst people for treating it like a disease. People, when somebody relapses and, and the shame and that's heaped on them, oh, they had a blog, oh, they, were, you know, they thought they were all that. You know, if we want to treat it as a disease like diabetes, like heart disease, like leukemia, then we need to start treating it as such. Because you know what? People do relapse. That, is, that does happen. And, and we all know people who don't come back from it. And that does happen as well, as it does with other illnesses. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I, and I just think that we need to start treating you know the whole thing about relapse and and you know if we're going to treat it within the disease model then that's how we need to treat it you know I, I'm pretty certain I'm not going to drink or pick up again but I don't know that you know I just do what I do on a daily weekly monthly basis that um, provides me you know um, uh, safety away from that happening. But, you know, I don't know that for certain. And if that did happen, I really, really hope I can deal with it in the way that we've been talking about, that I can own my mess. Mm-hmm. And so that, and so that being a person who is not anonymous and in recovery, that would mean owning that publicly, possibly as well, too, right? And talking honestly about that. Actually, you know, our own Ellie is a great example of that. Um she was really uh, just really wonderfully open with people about sharing the many ups and downs of her story, but she took the time that she needed to heal when things, uh, when she relapsed, she did, she, she, you know, built that privacy around her during the fragile times. But then when she was ready, she was honest about sharing her story because as you say, like it's, we, we, we learn from that. There's benefit to it. Um, as long as we're not seeing ourselves as experts or um, better than or um, letting it feed, you, you, know, you know, unhealthy yeah. mindsets. The, the closest I came to kind of this topic was, was last year was definitely the hardest year of my entire recovery in my life. Um, and, you know, and I, I, I talked about it at She Recovers and I've talked about it on my blog when my youngest son was lead poisoned and uh, I didn't think about drinking but I did think about self-harming I've never done that and I've also never kind of really understood it like why would you hurt yourself that doesn't make any sense to me I mean but I I was you know I, I my brain couldn't consider alcohol and drugs that's pretty embedded so it was looking for other means to relieve the pain and I was very I, I, I'm honest on my blog and I, I hadn't written about it and I wasn't sure if I wanted to, you know, because it's to do with my child as well and my family, but I also, I wasn't okay. And um, I learned a lot from not being okay. Um, I call them recovery red flags. You know, when recovery red flags go up, you've got to pay attention to them. And I got some help and I got some therapy and all of those things made a massive difference. And I eventually wrote about it because I, I just, I have, I just have feel like have an obligation to be real. You know, I can't. I, I certainly don't consider myself some kind of recovery guru, and I can write. I can write from a place of experience. I can do that, but I also want to write from a, pe- a place of being real. Um. So, 
you know, definitely in the last year I've gone through, I'm still going through a tremendous amount of pain. But it's not that I want to do it publicly because I'm still, you know, it's still a current thing. But I, I want to be real about the fact that, you know, sometimes you can struggle and it's really important, you know, even with like 17 years of recovery or however long you have to get some help, to get some support because life does throw stuff at you. I mean, I'm sure Julie's had the same. Oh, completely. Yeah. A couple of years ago, my father almost passed away. It was a critical time in my daughter's life. So many things. And I was walking out of the hospital, um, you know, visiting my father's spending days with him at a time. And I walked out and in a fleeting second, I had made the plan to go to the liquor store, get the bottle and how I could drink it. Mm. And that was years and years of recovery. I shocked myself Mm -hmm. with how quickly my subconscious could plan this. And so I was smart enough to, um, you know, absolutely do the right things and reach out to the right people, get myself the support I needed at the time and just reinforce all those, uh, the foundation that I had begun. And I'll say this, being um, having a lack of anonymity, so being loud and proud uh, with sober Julie has kept me sober countless times. It has uh-huh. absolutely provided a level of accountability um, that I, you know, nothing else could have. I'm not suggesting that for other people, but I was somebody who lived my different lives in different boxes with different shadows. And so part of the being um, out there, and um, being who I am in sobriety and being public about that is about living in the light and not having shadows in my life anymore. That's part mm-hmm. of my recovery. I'm wondering for each of you, if you have goals as an advocate of recovery, as a writer, a blogger, a person who cares about people, um, do you do you aim to keep doing what you're doing for forever? Do you have other things that you'd like to get to, Veronica? What are your goals as a recovery advocate? Um, that's a really great question. I this was very accidental for me. I, I only started the blog because I wrote the book and I was told I had to promote it, and um, I didn't expect to love it so much, and I never expected this kind of community to spring up around me in the way that it has. Um, and as someone who went from, you know, having a, a career to moving to America and just being a stay-at-home mom, it's really been a lifeline for me. I mean, it really has enabled me to feel that I still have a career and I'm connected to my community, and it's just given me so much. Um, so my plan is to definitely continue with this. I, I, I want to do more. I, my goal is to, to start doing some podcasts because I, I don't think I'm a great writer. I think I speak better than I write. Um, also, I, I love how you I, say I, podcast. It sounds so nice. I know, she's podcast. thinking the same thing. She's got that damn accent. You're doing <laughs> We can't compete. Wow. <laughs> my, so my goal is to do some podcasts. I'm, I'm going to, I'm developing, because I've been asked so many times, and I've said no, but I'm developing some online uh, coaching workshops for people. And um, my my big goal that's been burning inside of me for so long is is to write another book on relationships mm. because that's a big part of my story is toxic romantic relationships and and overcoming that and I I see that as such a point of pain 
for so many people and I just see it and I just think I I have been there I know that pain and uh, I want to get that down in a book so those are kind of my goals at the moment to just just keep doing this I mean I'm I'm already like it's been a week and a half I'm having withdrawal symptoms like can we not have another she recovers next month (laughs) (laughs) I'm like every month emailing the organizers like take a week off by all means but can you get busy after that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I, I, I mean, I think there's so many people that you know. I just, I love being part of this community. It's just a, it's great, and I just want to see what where it goes. I really do. How about you, Julie? Um, sober Julie will live probably forever because it's my little baby. You know where I love. I, mm. I, I mean, I've incorporated travel and family and food and recipes and things. So, it's kind of whatever mood I'm in. That's what I write about. Um. So I do love it. Um, there is, uh, for a long time now, a book biting at my at my subconscious that I have to get out at some write point. Write it, Julie. Write it, Julie. Write it. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I'm so blessed to be able to talk to you ladies about this. We had some great conversations uh, on the weekend we spent together um, about directionally where we're being pulled. And um, the one thing which has popped up since the conference is I'm working on a couple ladies uh, wellness retreats that I'm uh, putting together with uh, some pretty cool professionals in the area here in Ontario where it's um, it was something I actually recall Googling in new sobriety to get a weekend away to focus on wellness. And uh, it's something that isn't easily available where I am. It's Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, there is a little bit of a need, and I figured I'll float out a couple pilot weekends for ladies and see how that goes over. Well, that Ooh, sounds awesome. great. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, and I what also want to hit you. Jean, I, I think we have to hit, the three of us have to do something together. I just have to put that out there on air. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, stay tuned and see what the three yes. of us come up with, because I, I do think we'll, we are tossing some ideas around of uh, of what we could do. And, I, I you know, I also love the idea of finding something that uh, uh, where a need isn't being met quite yet and I think there's all kinds of new things popping up and uh, and I love that I my you know my mantra almost is is use me you know what here's my life plug me into the greater plan and put me to work but the other the other thing that I really also ask is let me know when it's time to be done so I have to really remind myself and I uh, my experience when I did music and I released a couple albums as a performing songwriter was that I thought a lot about the promotion in the beginning and the like the ramping up and the Mm -hmm. getting to the top of the indie chart or whatever but I didn't really nothing prepares you for the fact that that lasts about a nanosecond and then there's nothing (laughs) and then and then it, you know, you peak and you move on and, um, and you can get caught in a real scramble if all you're really doing is chasing that high. So I remind myself that, you know, even if I keep writing a blog forever, maybe at some point people stop reading blogs or stop listening to podcasts and they start encountering their information in another way. And if I'm mm-hmm. meant to keep delivering that information, you know, my, my goal is to stay open to how I can stay connected with people and that I'll be flexible enough to continue doing that. And I'm mindful of the fact as my 
I'm like just a few days away from my 50th birthday here that, mm-hmm. you know, I used to do, a, yeah, thanks. I used to do a lot of TV work when I was younger in my thirties and um, high definition is not so kind uh, as we age, even um, in all of the uh, radical advances, we have to keep ourselves looking fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know? So, uh, so I have to remember that um, uh, I can stay of service, but I also have to stay open to changes. And that if I do stop to see readership falling off or interest in this podcast falling off, when it runs its course, I want to be gracious about just being grateful for the being a part of it and releasing it and moving on to the next place where I'm needed. And, um, and that is, uh, that excites me really, because, uh, you know, it's, you can look at it as we talked about earlier, you could look at it in either ways. Like I, you can say, Oh, I'm a has been, I used to do that. Or you could say, I really enjoyed that. And I'm ready for the next thing mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, so I, I, I'm really interested in, in where that will take me and I I love so many things that I didn't love before like I really before I got sober I loved public speaking but the reason I loved it was because no one could talk back to me <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like they just gave me a microphone and I didn't have to have a dialogue. I could just have a monologue, you know, and I'm good at the monologue. Dialogue is much, much harder. And now look at here I am loving dialogue, loving hearing mm-hmm. other people's stories. Um, that's growth. And uh, who knows where, you know, what I'll learn next that will feed into the next thing. So that's really exciting for me. And I think it's, it should excite all of us in recovery. However we approach it, you know, if someone's recovery involves going to meetings every day and sponsoring people, they'll be a better sponsor as time goes on if they stay open to growth and mm-hmm. and watch the ego, right? And, um, you know, whether what we're doing is being what we call a lighthouse and you're just living your life, but you're also um, showing people how it's done, you know, just quietly, just shining a light. This is me. This is me without alcohol. I, you know, I, th- I think that's like. really what it's about what it's about to kind of come full circle with, with how, how you kind of opened the, the podcast is, is really, you know, it's not that we feel that, I certainly don't feel like I know everything there is to know about sobriety and recovery or spirituality or getting sober, but I know some stuff. I do know some stuff and I do know it pretty well. And I, I've seen it work on myself and I've seen it work with other people. So it's just my honor and my obligation and my duty to just show people that stuff that I know. That that's just what I have to do. I just have to do that because it's just too much to see someone suffering and sitting in that same black hole that you have sat in yourself when you can put out a helping hand and say, I, I, there's a few things I know and they might help. Right. Just give them a go. And, and, and I really think that's really all it is about. You know, our, yeah. our job is, to take ourselves off of the pedestal. Our job is to do all of those things. That's the personal work that everyone should do. Um, And also, you know, it's also really helpful to have a really good peer group, which I now have with you guys, that you can also, you know, gently support each other with that as well. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for the peer group that I've had through, through my recovery, who've been able to reflect back things back to me that I haven't always wanted to see. But, you know, 
that's all this is about. We just know some stuff. Not everything, but some stuff. It's worked, you know. It's not just that we're sober. You know, I hear about your lives, and gee, my God, you're like the hottest grandma I've ever seen. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> though, right? I mean, like, oh, my God. Um, uh, thanks. <laughs> you know, it's not just that we're sober, but, you know, Julie's life, like, I mean, how many plates are you spinning? Like, you have a life. We have... It's not that just we're, we're not, none of us are staying away from a drink one day at a time. Our lives are full and bursting with, with so much that opportunity and, and connection and meaningfulness. That's just, you know, how can we not help other people and pass that on as much as we can? I love that. Yeah, exactly. We've been blessed with the miracle. We are living mm-hmm. miracles. We None of us should be here today. And mm-hmm. The one fallacy that people can fall into is thinking that that's of their own doing. It absolutely isn't. And anybody who truly understands and is living recovery understands that. And when you hit that level of, like, absolute thanks from the bottom of your soul, when you can look at your children or your loved ones and know that you weren't supposed to be there that day for them, it's easy to be humble. Mm. Just before we go, um, I'm taking a breath as I, you, you kind of gave me goosebumps there, Julie, but I'm going to end on a light note. Um, I saw a lot of new things at the conference that I sort of just wasn't aware are really available as tools to recovery. I mean, there was there was like monthly subscription boxes for recovery. That's ECHA boxes mm-hmm. um there's jewelry there was like cool little treasures oils there was different treatment op- options i'm curious from each of you to know what you saw that really intrigued you and and what you tried that was new or or um if you took away any treasures from that weekend julie what what about you um from the weekend i think the treasure for me was just seeing so many different options and choices that didn't exist even as little as 7 years ago um, you know, as a woman in recovery now, I would probably get a monthly subscription box. Uh, back then, tools tools that have been valuable to me are things like a gratitude box, where each day I write down um, a gratitude at the end of the day and I put it into a box. I also write down a worry and I put that in my worry box and it's gone. So things like that, I, I do have practices and tools that I do. I use essential oils. I exercise, I eat well, and, uh, well, I kind of eat well. Um, so, well, you know, chocolate. But your best, it's, you know, it's cool that there's so many things on the market for so many different people. And uh, I know I can remember, like, Googling for a one-year coin beforehand, right, like, to find myself something to signify this one year. And there were so few choices at the time, whereas if you Google them now, the choices are endless. It's fantastic. Oh, my God. They're sparkly and they're colored and they're like... Oh, they're so pretty, whereas before it was like very manly. So (laughs) it's really, really neat that there's so many options out there, you know, for people. And and for me, having tangible things in my hands has always mattered to a degree. Julie, go ahead and tell us the, about the oil that you uh, use because I'm a big fan of it as well. Oh, okay. Brand. Um, yeah, I, I choose doTERRA essential oils. And if you're interested, reach out to me at Sober Julie. Or there are many amazing wellness professionals who work with doTERRA that can help you out. And um, 
They're 100% pure and potent, and they're lovely, and there's so many for recovery. In fact, if you go to SoberJulie.com, I did do an Essential Oils for Recovery blog post recently that lists out uh, some of my favorite oils to help with different symptoms that you might be feeling or even just grounding you and things like that. It's It's been a journey for me, and uh, they've been with me along the way. It's pretty cool. I love my oils. Actually, as we speak, I'm um, diffusing a balance blend from doTERRA, and I also I have balance. a... Um, a little diffuser necklace, and I have it kind of half stuck up my nose. <laughs> with yes, a whisper as blend you do. I mean, if you see women uh, or even men, you know, sniffing on sniffing their necklaces, necklace. I, it's it's oils. <laughs> yeah, it's oils, and they're yeah, smiling and sniffing their necklace. Yeah, yeah. that's one of my favorites too. How about you, Veronica? What did you see? Uh, anything new that uh, caught your fancy at the event? Do you know what I did see that I loved, and I didn't get one until Sunday, and I'm, I'm going to do a feature on them on my blog, and I'm going to order some because I loved it, is um, there was someone who had those little, um, you know, like fake tattoos that you put on your inside of your wrist. I really wrist loved that had, those. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love, so I, I can't even, mind. just like, it lasted a week, but I loved it. I loved that, you know, I saw it every day. I loved that it looked really cool. Um, I just thought they were just such a cool thing to do. And uh, do you know what I love about those? Is that they'd be good for anybody, wouldn't they, Veronica? Like, yeah, teen girl, tween, anybody. Really empowering, you know, words and statements that you know after a week you can just put another one on. But I actually can't wait to get home and order a pack of them because I just thought they were awesome. I'm just looking up what their website is right now because I love oh, those yeah. too. Um, so keep talking and I'll I, find it. I also it. love the Echo Recovery Boxes. And if I was in early recovery, it, you know, it's definitely something that I would invest, invest in. Um, I, I think people, you know, it's really important to remember how much money we used to spend on drinking, Ugh. recovering from drinking, and all the opportunities that we used to miss. Like, I don't know, the Echo Box is like $44 or something. It's a small investment to just have that monthly kind of take care of yourself. I I really, really thought they were a great idea as well. And, you know, Uh, who doesn't need a gift more than somebody in early recovery to look forward to? Exactly. I loved um, a lot of the things that they were um, sharing there as well. And another thing that um, someone put in my uh, gift bag that I really loved is a, is a little set of cards called May You Know Joy. And mm. um, there's a you pull one out every day. I think you both got a set of these as well. Um, mm-hmm. you, you pull one out every day and it's your meditation for the day. So mine today was May You Know Grace. And then you open up the book to that page and you read a little meditation about it. And then you set your intention and you draw an intention card for the day. And so my intention for the day, guess what? It was kindness. Um, And so, yeah. And so rather than that being like, um, like I'm a little uncomfortable with some of the woo woo, like tarot cards and stuff like that, but I really (laughs) like woo woo. Um, They're fun, but they make me a little uneasy and I feel a little ill-equipped to, to um, know what to do with them. But um, I really, I like these because they're, um, they're just sort of more positive intentions for the day and just give you um, just sort of something to think about for the day. And so I have a little, um, 
a little clip on my makeup stand. And so I pull one every day and stick it in there. And I, I really love those. I thought they were really cool. And I was also really amazed. Uh, Hazelden Press was there. And they yes. had this huge setup with all of their books for women in recovery. Um, so if you just search Hazelden, um, you can buy their stuff online or you can go to She Recovers and there's a link to Hazelden books on there as well. And so many great books about codependence, um, different pathways to recovery, 12 step for women. Um, there was a lot of really great stuff there. So um, I, uh, I, was, I loved them as well. There, it was really cool, wasn't it, to see stuff I mean all the fun stuff so much cool stuff yeah I, I can't wait for the next one because once people realize what an amazing event it is I mean I hope they'll attract a lot of promotional opportunities for people and advertisers because there was just so many great things there Mhm. for sure Okay, ladies, um, I am going to, I didn't find it, but I will post uh, on the Bubble Hours Facebook page the link for the tattoos that you were talking about. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. find those there. And um, any closing thoughts from each of you before we say ta-ta? Just quickly, people always ask me, should they start a blog? Should they, should they, blah, blah, blah. The answer is yes. If you're feeling compelled to do so, do so. You never know where it'll end up. Not, I don't think any one of us started ever thinking we would become any sort of a face for anything. We were just sharing our thoughts. Veronica? Yeah, I, I think exactly that is um, just really about, you know, coming out about your recovery is you're you're not alone. There's so many out, uh, of us out there and, loneliness is really one of the biggest things that just kills alcoholics and our drinking and you know just being connected online the the people that I have then met in real life now it's just extraordinary you know those people are becoming friends and we live all over the world that I've met at different events and and that it just means more to me than I can possibly say so it you know put yourself out there start a blog whatever you don't know where it's going to lead, but I can pretty much guarantee it's going to lead somewhere pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Connections are wonderful things. It's well, all ladies, about I'm, connection. I want to thank you both for being here. I want to thank you both for being your wonderful selves and um, for sharing an hour with us today. I've been speaking with Veronica Valley of veronicavalley.com, Julie Elsden Heights. SoberJulie.com. I'm Jean McCarthy on PickledBlog.com. We're all on Facebook and the Twitter and Instagram, and we're all over the place. But we don't have egos about it. We're just there serving you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if you have feedback on this show or want to get in touch with any of these ladies, just simply send me a message at thebubblehour at gmail.com, and I'll make sure they get it. Uh, So that's it for us for today. So until next time, take good care. Not proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Weakness head on me In a dark corner is where shame lies behind We 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.